Let's hear the word of God as it is recorded for us in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. (laughs) By the way, if you have trouble believing that the numbers of Scripture are right, I honestly don't see why you would think that what's presented here is right. In other words, don't make a disjunction in your mind between the place where Scripture records numbers and the place where it records concepts and think that the Holy Spirit is really able easily to present truth in concepts, but that when he gets to numbers, the Holy Spirit just is challenged. You know? If Scripture is inspired, God-breathed, it's, it's, it's not the concepts that are inspired and the numbers somehow didn't quite make it. You don't have to pay me for that one. And I, I'm saying that because this morning, it, it is a bitter pill for a university community to swallow what we have this morning. And so if you're scandalized at the tens of thousands of some of the battles in the Old Testament, at the wiping out of men, women, children, and animals in Canaan, or the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, really this should be more challenging to you. If you're intellectually honest, this should be a real bitter pill to swallow. Um, Here is the word of God, and it is every part of it eternally true. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, The world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the word of the Lord. Now here in chapter 1, we're in this section, the theme of the foolishness of the cross of Jesus Christ. The foolishness of man and the wisdom of God. Calvin commenting on this, you're going to hear a lot from Calvin this morning. Calvin, commenting on this, puts it this way. He says, quote, The principal feature of the controversy which the Apostle Paul was having with the bad and unfaithful ministers or pastors of the Corinthians was that since they were swollen with ambition, they wanted to rush the people into admiration of them and did it by ingratiating themselves with them by a show of words and a mask of human wisdom. So you had false pastors... And the false pastors were trying to use large words, sophisticated constructions, philosophers. They were trying to make a parade of their learning so that the people would be tied to them, so that the people would be committed to them. The people would think, isn't it wonderful that I'm here with such a pastor? And so Paul is saying, no, that's not how God works, and it's not good. It is not good for the people to leave church Sunday morning thinking, what a wonderful person I am that I have that person who preached to me this morning as a pastor. That's bad. Calvin goes on and he says this, Because men's minds were turned to the brilliancy and fineness of words, to clever speculations, to an empty show of uplifted teaching, the power of the Spirit vanished and nothing was left except the dead letter. It is as though 
the Apostle Paul was saying, I know how much these easygoing teachers of yours coax you with high-sounding language. For my part, not only do I confess that my preaching is done in a style that is unpolished, clumsy, and far from cultivated, but I even glory in it. For it ought to have been like that, and indeed this method was prescribed to me by God. The true eloquence which consists in skillful choice of subjects and clever arrangement and fineness of style, he declares he did not have that. Indeed, that for his preaching it was neither suitable nor useful. And so Calvin's talking about the way that they have themselves taught, the way that they have preaching presented to them. And he says, no, God doesn't use that. God doesn't use sophisticated techniques. He doesn't use shaggy dog stories. He doesn't use poetry. He doesn't use erudition. What God uses is simplicity of the cross preached, and the cross itself is embarrassing. So in other words... You can't carry something embarrassing in a Rolls Royce. Okay, if your job is cleaning out, mucking out the stables, and you use a Rolls Royce to do it, Houston, we have a problem. It makes no sense. It makes no sense to carry you-know-what in a Rolls Royce. You use a tool that's fitting. And so what the Apostle Paul is teaching us is, that the tool that is fitting for the cross is simplicity. It is not sophisticated constructions and large vocabularies and preachers that make you self-congratulatory that you have a pastor like that. Now, that ought to be a scandal to all of you who have anything to do with the university here, any of you that make a living with your tongues. Because what this means is that faithfulness in the ministry can be judged on the basis with which you do or don't respect the mind and the intellect of your preacher. In, 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 the, uh, in the social sciences, or I don't know where, they'd call this a, an inverse correlation. All right, It's like if you have the preacher up here, the cross is down here. But if you have the preacher down here, the cross is up here. So now let me ask you. Think of those that you like to have you teach Scripture. And ask yourself how many of them are people that you respect for their intellect. Or another way of asking this that's not quite so personal is to ask you, how many of the apostles do you respect for their intellects? There's only one possible, right? And that's the Apostle Paul. You don't respect any of the rest of them for their intellects, right? Right? Because why? Well, because it says that the religious leaders of the time of the apostles looked at the apostles after Jesus had been resurrected and took note of this fact that they were, quote, unschooled ordinary men. So when Jesus prayed and then chose the 12, Jesus chose 12 women, all of whom were unschooled, ordinary women. He didn't choose women. Does that mean anything to you? You say, well, no, that was just because he lived in an ancient patriarchal culture. I say, okay, all right, let's move on. He chose 12 unschooled, ordinary men. Does that mean anything to you? Forget the fact that they were men. Let's move on to whether they're unschooled and ordinary. How about that? Does that mean anything to us? Well, no, I mean, that was back in a time when everybody was ignorant. But today, we have... Thank you. We have evolved... That was the word that was on the tip of my tongue, and you beat me to it. We have evolved. We're progressive. We're educated. We are sophisticated. And so back then, Jesus didn't have much to work with, you know, just a little Play-Doh. 
and it happened to be male because he lived in an ancient patriarchal culture. But today, we have the ability of having R.C. Sproul and Tim Keller and Tim Bailey. I'm sure I'm the third in that list. <laughs> you know? And it's so obvious. You know what the absolute irreducible necessity is if you're going to be in a rich Presbyterian church today, you have to have a a doctorate. And if you don't have a doctorate that means something, like a doctorate of theology, they may let you have a doctorate of ministry, but it's a trash degree. I mean, if any of you have it, I'm sorry. I, I can't believe I just said that. There may be one of you that does have it here. But it is, it's, it's just slightly below an EDD. But I mean, an EDD is an earned doctorate. I, I grant you that. And so you think about the pecking order. Like in the sciences, I've had scientists tell me that at the bottom of the sciences is biology. Did any of you know this? And like in the music school, at the bottom of the music school is music et. All right. <laughs> And so in the churches today, what we have are some ministers who are worthy of rich churches with lots of people and other ministers who are also rands, you know. And those ministers don't have doctorates. And if you really want an excellent church, what you need to have is not just a doctorate but a British accent. (laughs) Absolutely true. Our home church, they found a guy that both had published an article on Jonathan Edwards and had a British accent. I mean, what more could you ask? Oh, and a a doctorate. What more could you ask? He's worthy of college church in Wheaton. There's only one apostle who is not an unschooled and ordinary man, and that apostle spends his ministry doing what? Spends his ministry blowing to smithereens all pretension. Because he's the one writing here and telling us that God will not use the wisdom of man, that it's contrary to the cross of Jesus Christ. That the Corinthians could look at those who were very skillful in rhetoric, those who were very sophisticated in philosophy and absolutely know that God would not use them and that those men were not servants of the cross. So the one guy that had a brain used his brain to show that those men that told you that they had a brain were absolutely foolish. And yet today, just like everything else in Scripture... We just fall all over ourselves trying to prove that the Bible doesn't mean what it says. It's wrong in the numbers, and it's wrong when it comes to the value of an education and an intellect and degrees. And so God's just always wrong. It doesn't apply to me, not me, not us today. I mean, if you're really going to get a hearing in a university community like Bloomington, we need a British accent, and we need an earned doctorate. PhD would be best, and from England would really be good. And we need a man who's very, very sophisticated as he gives us our meal. And what's the meal? The meal is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's bloody. It's disgusting. But if we have it presented to us in a fine presentation, you know, maybe square dishes instead of round, you know, with a little, what are those flowers from Africa? Frangia, or what? What? Yeah, frangipani, you know, sitting on top of the meat. You know? (laughs) Oh, you guys, come on. What I want you to do is I want you to love the book. I want you to love those who give it to you straight. 
It's one thing for you to leave a classical music concert being self-congratulatory. I don't mind that because it's worthless. But for you to leave a church and be self-congratulatory is utterly repulsive. Because if you leave thinking that you are, like, really, really blessed to have such a preacher, such an elder, such a church, it's absolutely destructive of God's cross. It's absolutely destructive. You know, you think about what the Bible says about preaching, and it calls it foolishness. Think about the cross, it calls it foolishness. Even if you think about how Jesus presented the truth when he was here on earth. So, so theoretically, Jesus could have been just as smart as Brandon Chastain, right? Theoretically, he could have been just as perceptive, had just as big a vocabulary, right? He could have known the classics just as good as Josh. He could have been just as creative intellectually as Eric Rasmussen, Right? But Jesus taught using parables, and what did he say when the disciples asked him why he used parables? Do you remember this? Well, we find it in Matthew, I believe, 12. Let me read it to you. Not 12, 13. It says, 13, verse 1, That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed... Now, you get down to verse 10, and it says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? You know, you could have poetry. You know, you could like have T.S. Eliot giving a lecture. So why parables? It's such a pedestrian, so humble, it's so direct, it's so sort of hidden. Why not open it up to us? Use the kind of language we like to have used with us. Tell us stories, you know, sing a song. Why parables? And Jesus answered them. He said, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been granted. For whoever has, whoever has what? No, no, uh uh-uh. Not ears. Whoever has what? Whoever has what? Whoever has PhD, whoever has T.S. Eliot lectures on his bookshelf, whoever thinks that he sees... Whoever has the riches of this world intellectually, whoever is very perceptive, large vocabularies, all right, for whoever has, to him more shall be given, and who, he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, what? They do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because you, they see, your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away. Now, I misled you earlier in, what, in my application about that, the word, the meaning at that point. But the larger meaning of the text and what I was saying are the same. Namely, the reason parables are used is to hide the truth from those that God has not given them eyes to see and ears to hear. In other words, God is pleased to keep from the sophisticated, from the people who think they're righteous, from the people who think they're wise, God is pleased to make a public spectacle of them. And that's the whole meaning of our text this morning. 
It's the whole meaning. For the word of the cross is what? It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so we see here that every man, every woman can be divided in an axis that splits into only two parts. Those that see the cross as foolishness and they are perishing, and those who see the cross as the power of God and they are being saved. Do you see this? Every single person can be divided into one of those two groups. They're either those who see Everything that God says and does, and particularly the cross of Christ, is stupidity, as impotence, as weakness, as foolishness. And they're perishing. And those who see it as the power of God and our only hope in, in life and in death. And they are being saved. And everybody's divided by that, by that line. And boy, we spend our time trying to hide those truths, trying not to see them, trying not to think about them, trying to avoid them. Mothers, think of how you try to not see those truths and to hide them when it comes to your children. What mother has ever given birth to a child that she can bear the thought of that child being cast off by God? How about fathers? Some of you can remember when you had your first child, and as that child grew, the day came when your child lied or did something that was just heinous, evil. And all of a sudden it occurred to you, is my child an Esau? Is my child a cast-off of God? Is my child going to be one of those that God curses? You remember that. If you, and so we, we, do, we do our best trying to forget the fact that the world is divided into those for whom the cross is foolishness and they are perishing and those to whom it is the power of God and they are being saved. Verse 19, for it is written... So here Paul is citing the Old Testament, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Remember how the Bible tells us that God resists the proud? And that's part of this theme. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. And then, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And Calvin making note of that verse. He says that God is taunting us there, that God is taunting the intellectuals there, taunting them. Where are they? Where are they? And pretty soon we're going to... This theme is relentless in in 1 Corinthians. It just goes on and on and on and on. And pretty soon we're going to hit the verse saying, look at among yourselves, look at who's here. Or better yet, look at who's not here. Not many among us are wise in the world's eyes. Not many of us are influential. Not many of us are rich. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world. And so what we see is that in a university community, there aren't many tenured professors, are there? I think, well, I guess I have to say two now. It's too bad for Chris. (laughs) But there used to be only one. Where are the tenured professors? Where are the administrators? Where are the judges? Where are the rich people? Think of how absolutely um, visible this was to the Corinthians when Paul wrote this. You know, they thought through, okay, how about Charlie? You know, Charlie's a muckety-muck, right, Charlie? Muckety-muck? Working on the wood in my house, muckety-muck. You know? And how about you, Allie? Are you, are you like one of the cool chicks at South High School? You know? I mean, yeah, to her mother she is, but her mother, you know. I mean, think of who we are. And this shows the truth that God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. 
And what? We want preachers who are well-educated, who have doctorates, who have British accents, and then we want elders who are doctors and lawyers and entrepreneurs and rich. And we want Titus II women who are sophisticates, dress well. And we don't want anybody that smells like smoke or chews. And this is not the way that God works. And so always with God we have a choice. We can either have God or we can have the world. And if what we want in this church is that we want to have the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever, God will give it to us. But we won't have God because the two are mutually antithetical. They're in opposition to each other. They're enemies. We can't have our own pride and our own glory We can't be self-congratulatory about who we sit next to in church and have God. We can't do it. Okay? Are you all with me? And so Adam and Brian, where's Brian? Okay, now stand up, the two of you. This is a doctor and this is a lawyer. In this church... What are they proud of? Now, I know what they'll say if I ask them, and they've not, this hasn't been rehearsed, trust me. In this church, what are they proud of? Now, if you're thinking biblically, you can spit it out. What are they proud of? Stephen, I know you know. What are they proud of if they're biblical? Yeah, somebody said it. Who said it? Would you stand up and say it? Where did you get that from in Scripture? Okay, where did he get it from? James. What does it say in James? Come on. Stephen. (laughs) Do you know what it says? Who? The rich are to glory in their humble position. And what? Keep going. And so if I were to say to you, what are you proud of in this church, what would you answer? (laughs) For once, let's let Brian speak. No, in this church, what is your pride personally as you come to this church? That God has put you in low position and that you're humble, right? That you're at the bottom, right? Okay. What would you say? Andy, you want to tell us what Adam would say? (laughs) Yeah. What I was hoping they would both say is (laughs) that they're both very proud that they are low here. And I think that their actions demonstrate that here. And yet, I would ask those who have low positions, you can sit down. Isn't that a relief? And I would ask others of you who have a low position, what are you proud of? And I would hope that with James, you would immediately say, because God has honored me by giving me a low position. You see, everything's flip-flopped under the cross. The proud are brought low, and the low are lifted up by the cross of Jesus Christ. If you follow a master who, though he is rich, became poor for our sakes, then you glory in your poverty. You glory. Oh, you glory ha, in your femininity. And if you don't glory in your femininity, you don't know Jesus Christ. And you say, what are you doing on sex? And I say, you guys, 
Don't you get it? The whole world is trying to rob you of the thing that God's given you, which is humility. You say, it's a, I'm not, I, I'm not humble because I'm a woman. I won't be humble because I'm a woman. And I say, then you won't know Jesus Christ. Jesus says, in heaven the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So what? You want to be the last in heaven? Then find glory in your femininity and go out there and seize the world. Get right behind Helen Reddy. I am woman. Hear me roar. In numbers too big to ignore. And you know what? The pathetic thing is she's still what God made her and it just looks awful. (laughs) It just looks awful. And here we are trying to deny that we sin. We try to cover up our sin. We lie about our sin. We go to our parents. Our parents know we sinned. Our parents know we're lying. And oh boy, we're off and running. And we come to God and we try to impress God that we have chosen him. And God says, you haven't chosen me, but I have chosen you. And oh boy, we chose him. And we go to God and try to explain to him that he didn't really create the world in seven days because all the paleontologists have all this knowledge about, you know, carbon dating, all this stuff, you know. And, and if God just had me writing Genesis 1 and 2, <laughs> too bad he didn't have me around. And, you know, and, and we go on and on and on and on and on and on with all our pride. That's all it is. It's just pride. Pride makes us lie. Pride makes us try to rewrite Genesis 1 and 2. Pride just, it just, it's, it just vanquishes everything in front of it. Because pride has no limit to its appetite. And it'll trash being feminine. And it'll trash fidelity, you know, in marriage. It'll trash You know, our identity as a man will become homosexual and think that it's a beautiful gift to the world. It's just such a beautiful gift to the world. And we'll still be what we are, which is a man with a limp wrist. And it's pathetic, just as pathetic as a woman who's trying to squeeze my hand. I once shook a hand of a woman who was a feminist. And when she grabbed my hand, she tried to squeeze it and hurt me. And it was so awful. Because, trust me, (laughs) in a second I could have had her on her knees in front of me. But I tried to hide that and sort of let her squish my hand. And the both of them, they're the same. They are taking the very dignity of humility that God has given us and trying to flip it on its head so that we can be proud. You know, we'll trash being male, we'll trash being female, we'll trash being uh, caught in our sins. We'll do everything we can to escape the cross of Jesus Christ. And if we come to the cross, then after we've come low under the cross, then we'll be proud again. And we'll say that once we've repented at the cross, we never have to repent again. We never have to be humiliated again. We don't want to be under a preacher who's going to point to our sin. For heaven's sakes, don't bring up homosexuality. Because, my goodness, think of my constituency groups. I mean, how on earth could I deal with homosexuals in such a way they'd know that I love them and they're just as, they're just as acceptable to Jesus as I am? You know, and so we can't bring up homosexuality because people would think I'm a homophobe, you know. Can't have that, or I'm not sophisticated, or not contextualized, or not missional, or who knows what they'll think. And so we can't preach on sexuality, manhood and womanhood. We can't preach on sexuality, homosexuality. We can't talk about Jews having certain traits. Did you know that in the commentaries, you know what they say about Jews in this text? They say that Jews love to argue. (laughs) And we can't say that because maybe Bob will be offended. (laughs) But any idiot knows Jews like to argue. Only people educated could lose that knowledge. (laughs) And what the Bible says is what? I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. And you look at the cross and it's low. It's so low that he, the Son of God, is reduced to being naked at the crossroads of Jerusalem. And we claim to love the low one. 
because of his lowness. And we claim to have gotten low with him. We claim to have been washed in his blood. This is our claim as Christians. And then the second we've been saved, whatever that is, whatever it is, we all of a sudden start denying that we're women, denying that we're men, denying that we're liars, denying that we still have sin, denying that we need anything. We're rich. We have need of nothing. And then we read this and we think, those poor Corinthians, boy, they had a real thing with wisdom. And boy, those poor Corinthians, they had a real thing with cleverness. So give me a... Give me a sterile dissertation on the sins and failures of the Corinthians, Pastor Bailey. Don't apply it. Don't call me out because I'm a force to be reckoned with. Don't you dare humiliate me. Let Paul do that 2,000 years ago. Let Calvin do it 500 years ago. Let Luther do it every day he woke up. (laughs) But me... My eminence. Oh, you guys. I mean, okay. You guys, we're really awful and pathetic. What we should want is to have preachers and to have Bible teachers and to have elders and to have husbands who will remind us what we really are. It's good that we got broken into this morning because it's infuriating. It's infuriating. It's the fourth time it's happened now. But what does it do? You know? (laughs) Think of this as my wealth, okay? This little pen. Okay? I defy one of you to pry this pen out of my hand. One of you. And that's how we all approach our possessions, our churches, our cars, our pension funds, you can't, here, I'm going to tuck my thumb. Now you can't get that thing out of my hand. And God comes along and, pew, pew, you know, and all of a sudden, pew, go, what happened to my wealth? What's wrong with George Bush and Barack Obama that my pension fund has expired? Get me a new president. What's wrong with the people that handle the regulations on Wall Street? And the Bible says, I will what? I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. God is in the business of destroying the idols of our hearts. He loves to destroy our pride, to destroy our cleverness, to destroy our philosophers. Do you know what Calvin says about this text? Calvin says that if we think that we can retain our respect for philosophers, we need to remember that philosophers have all the silliness of old wives. And that's like a double whammy. Because on the one hand, it's a university community. On the other hand, it's old wives, and that's not cool. (laughs) And we say, oh, no, God made philosophers, God made words, and people that are good with words have a place too, just like gardeners. And I say, yeah, but the difference is that gardeners usually aren't proud of gardening. Nobody but except Heather (laughs) with her beautiful garden. But philosophers... People that are good with words, concepts. Where is the wise man, verse 20? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world for its wisdom did not come to know God. Now stop and think about that. It says, in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God. What this means is that Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and Confucius and Marx and Christopher Hitchens, none of them came to know God. 
You remember all these philosophers who make such an effort to convert Plato. You know, they go on and on about how he was almost there. And certainly God will recognize how close he got. Have you ever read this? I've read it. You read it? Yeah, I've read it. You know, I've read it many times. You know, certainly God has to honor such a man. And the Bible says, through the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God, and that this is the wisdom of God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And so God is pleased to use the stupidity of preaching and the stupidity of the cross, the foolishness of the cross. Uh, the Greek word sounds, well, it's, it, it's the word that we get our word. Uh, <laughs> it's not politically correct. If you can believe it, this word that's used to refer to the stupidity of the cross, this word is not politically correct today. It's the word moron. How many of you have called somebody a moron this last week? Ah, no, no. Esther went like this and then... <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't call anybody a moron. No. Oh, the previous week. No, not the previous week. Yeah. I had a guy telling me yesterday about, uh, about somebody at basic training. The guy was absolutely a basket case intellectually. They, they had, where is, uh, hey, hey, Thomas, come here. And he won't identify the man. Oh, what did I say? I'm sorry, boot camp. Okay. Yeah. So tell them that routine, the, the hygiene. Are you allowed to tell about that? Oh, I can tell about that. Yeah, okay. This, this is a good one. So every night we would have hygiene time where we would shower and clean ourselves. So you can do it. And then we would come out and stand on line, and we would have our skivvy shorts on and our shower shoes. We'd stand on our shower shoes. And when the instructor would stand in front of you, you are supposed to go, good evening, sir, snap, snap, just like to show them your hands. And then you'd start spinning around. <laughs> and then you'd lift up your feet to show them the bottom of your feet. And you'd come back around. And we had this guy who couldn't do it. Like, to save his life, he couldn't do it. He would, he'd be like, good evening, sir, snap, snap. And it's like, <laughs> he looked like an idiot every time he did it. So this one time they had him online for, I think, 30 minutes just doing it over and over again. He still never got it right. He was what? Where was he from? Or? No, 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 no. What, what was he? A moron. Uh, uh, uh. A moron. <laughs> now, you think of that poor guy who couldn't get that right. Snap, snap. Right? And you think that that's the man that God will have in heaven. That's the man. And the man who just despises the dude for not being able to go snap, snap, he will not be there. He will not be there. Because God is pleased to use unschooled ordinary men. God is pleased to use the foolishness of the cross. Two stories in closing. Number one, I've used this, but I'm going to keep using it because it's such a good story. Do you guys remember me telling you about being in London at, high, at, the, uh, at Speaker's Corner in Hard Park? You remember me telling you about this? So I'm there because I love to watch people preaching, street preaching. And there was this guy who was preaching, and I came up to the crowd, and um, somehow, I don't remember what happened, but somehow I got into a discussion with some Arabs, and the Arabs were just furious at the United States, so they started insulting me, and they started talking about me and saying that I was this and I was that and I was the other thing, and I said to them, I am not an American. I am a Christian. I wanted to communicate to them that my citizenship was in heaven. But I was not dishonoring the United States. You'll have to trust me on that. But I was making it clear to them that I'm a Christian. That's my identity. And the minute I identified myself as a Christian, you know what they did? 
they started almost spitting in my face and saying, oh, you're a Christian, huh? So you follow a God who was crucified, huh? And it didn't take me, it took me a couple seconds to realize what they were saying. And then I realized they were scandalized that I worship as the creator of the universe and as my savior, the one who could not keep himself from the cross. To them, there's nothing more idiotic, nothing more moronic, nothing more stupid than the fact that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, love and serve and worship the one who went to the cross because he's weak. And why would you ever worship somebody who's weak? This is what Paul's saying, the foolishness of the cross. But to those who are the called, did you notice that? Verse 24, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So this stupidity to all the Muslims in the world, that stupidity is to those who are the called. It is what? It is the power of God and it is the wisdom of God. So one final point. If you get to the point where you love the cross of Jesus Christ and, and, and it is your glory, all right? And you're a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. You take pride in your low position under the cross. All right? If you get to that point, don't ever hold on to the fact that you chose it. Because right there it indicates you didn't even choose it. You were called to that privilege. Do you see that? Do you see the word? Does that word have any meaning to you? To those who are the called, this means that you can't even glory in the fact that you've chosen the humility of the cross. Because you did it because you're called. And, oh, man, we don't like that. <laughs> you know? Well, call there means you. And then I respond. He chose you, and he gave you the ability to see the glory of the cross, and then he put faith in the cross in you. And every step of the way, you were his enemy until you made your peace with him under the cross, glorying in that cross. And so it's, it's liberating because you don't have to carry the burden of having made the choice and being able to not make the choice. <laughs> you were called, and so you came. So now... What is your testimony? Tim, my testimony is what? I was called and I came. Okay, so your testimony is you came? And your answer is no, I was called. Why are you here this morning? Because you were called. Why are you listening to me and not despising me? Because you are called. Why do you glory in being a woman? Because you're called. So when I was a kid, I was raised in a godly home with godly parents who trained me in righteousness. But I had an idol, and I loved that idol so much, I went out to California so that I could be with that idol. Her name was Mary Lee, and she was going to Westmont in Santa Barbara. So I get out there, and then she breaks up with me, not in the plan. And so then I get sick. And then I start taking antibiotics, and I'm on these antibiotics, and the antibiotics are only killing all the good bacteria in my body and none of the bad. So my whole mouth and throat get filled with sores. I'm only 165, and I, I, I start losing and losing and losing weight, and it goes on for weeks. And I'm working as a hod carry during the day and at night as a night watchman on the same job in this, tin, this little tin nothing kind of gross thing on in Huntington Beach, and my life is absolutely disgusting, and every day I'm carrying 102 temperature. So I'm sick, I didn't have any friends, I didn't have a church, and I never left the job site. 
and I'm losing weight, and I have sores. I could only eat jelly, Jello and uh, yogurt. Okay, that's how bad my mouth was. And so finally, in desperation, I go back to the free clinic where all the surfer dudes and their babes go for pregnancy tests. And I tell them, you know, your, your free medicine hasn't worked. I need something better. And so the guy says, go in that little cubicle. And it was only a cubicle because it had a curtain around it. And lie down on the bed up high and take off your pants. So I go in the cubicle and take off my pants and lie on my face. And this guy, who's the physician, is like hanging out with all the surfer dude babes. And they're laughing, telling jokes, and there's like five or six of them around him, and he pulls the curtain back. And there I am. On my face, with my pants down. And at that point, I realized that my life was not good. (laughs) And so what I decided was that I would either kill myself or I would give myself to God. And so I gave myself to God. That's it. It isn't a pretty picture. So why did Mary Lee break up with me, and why did I get sick, and why did I have sores, and why was I friendless, and why? I mean, if I had tried to set up my life to go in that direction, I could not myself have done all that. But the hound of heaven was after me, and he called me to himself. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ because he forced me to. And don't worry, it didn't do any violence to my will. I had no will to protect. Just unconditional surrender under the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's your pastor. That's all I am. And I hope someday you'll be in heaven under the cross of Christ, under the blood of Christ. I hope you'll be a woman there. I hope you'll be stupid and a moron. I hope you'll be poor. I hope you won't have a pen you're grasping. I hope you'll go freely. I hope you'll be a fool for Christ's sake. Because it's the only way you can get into heaven. You have to give in. God hates the proud. He will not deal with competitors. He's a jealous God. But I'll tell you something. There's no partying like under the cross of Jesus Christ because nobody's trying to impress each other about what kind of loudspeakers they have. You know, nobody's trying to show their clothes off. Not under the cross of Christ. Nuh-uh. Nobody's parading their degrees. Nobody's trying to make a spectacle of their vocabulary. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Not under the cross of Christ. Let's pray.